Welcome to the 4A Music Book Club. I'm Charlie. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Amy. <laughs> this is kind of like almost when we like record the podcast where it's like, let's just do that whole intro again. <laughs> <laughs> Read it. the hardest part, for sure. Yes. So this month, we are reading The Inner Game of Tennis, The Classic Guide to the Mental uh, Side of Peak Performance uh, by W. Timothy Galway. And this is a book that I had read many years ago and actually used as part of a technique class as extra credit. Ooh. Not a required book, but I use it as an extra credit, a potential assignment back in the day when there used to be extra credit. I don't think extra credit is a thing anymore. Is it? I think so. Okay. <laughs> um, I think maybe it's a thing. So uh, so it's a book about performance and um, kind of like getting, a lot of it is kind of like getting out of your own way, I think, mm, yeah. like getting mm. in your head about stuff and just kind of like doing the thing. Um, but I was mentioning that I I'd suggested this book and then Alexandria had kind of like heard someone talking about it in the hallway or something about the same time. And it seemed to be kind of like, meant to be it was meant to be it was yes very much so uh so yeah this this month we're reading uh we read inner game of tennis last month we read uh what did we read the creative act a way of being <laughs> sorry that's the full title a creative act or the creative act the, crea oh, the creative act a i'm way acting of like being. i wasn't there uh, by by producer Rick Rubin, right? Yes. Who we had just earlier, when there was no sound, said that uh, Amy said it was her favorite old man, white like a white man. Old and then I wasn't sure about that, but I stuck what with about it. Santa? Yeah, right. Santa's definitely still in first place. <laughs> just Rick uh, Rubin was creepier than not creepier. Anyways, I should just stop talking. <laughs> I was surprised at the way he, he presented himself. Yeah, like you didn't really see a picture of him until we did the book club, right? And no, I was like, and I was like, pictures all over the place. Whoa, <laughs> he's like if Poseidon didn't work yes. out or something. <laughs> Absolutely, I didn't know Poseidon worked out. That's part of the lore. That's part of the myth. Poseidon, he's gotta, right? Yeah, real swall. He's working out the gym a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cool. Well, uh, let's just jump into like kind of finish up the intro. M talking about the author and like seeing a picture of what uh, W. Timothy Galway. This is W. Timothy Galway, which I don't know if another kind of like old white man. We're on a streak. Um, uh, born in 1938 in San Francisco. Uh, so kind of I think the story of Timothy Galway a little bit is that uh, he he played tennis at Harvard and and he like, you know, was the captain of the Harvard University tennis team. And um, after he graduated, he kind of got into the scene of like being a tennis coach and, and kind of like going around and like doing this thing. And so he developed this kind of method or this technique or this way of thinking about it. And eventually, like, it caught on much more than even his, like, kind of tennis training sort of a situation. It was, it caught on to kind of his, like, approach to thinking about 
performance to thinking about doing kind of just like doing the thing that you're kind of trying to do. And um, so after that, he kind of like became a, a public speaker and went around and like talked to businesses and did kind of like uh, clinics and, and presentations. And then like it kind of coalesced into this book. So I think this book is is published in 1974. Oh, wow. So he he went to so he like went to Harvard in 1960. He, he kind of like um, started doing meditation and started doing all, all kind of stuff in 1970s and then wrote this book in 1974. And then it kind of blew up. And so he was kind of like all over just like um, going to conferences and doing this kind of thing and giving like giving this talk of like the inner game of tennis. Um, <laughs> Since then, there's been a lot of spinoff books, including The Inner Game of Music. We didn't read The Inner Game of Music. We read <laughs> The Inner Game of Tennis because this is like the first one. Yeah. I always like to kind of like do the, you know, like whatever the, even though it doesn't really talk like specifically about music, I think it's like, I think it's actually kind of fun to read things that maybe are a little bit outside of your, I think sometimes it's actually easier, at least for me. To kind of like process things that are like slightly outside of my zone. Yeah. And draw connections from there. And draw connections from there totally. So yeah. Um, so there is inner game of uh inner game of music, inner game of like business, inner game of golf. Obviously he hits a lot of like the old white man sports. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the true, but <laughs> LOL. I'm sure there would be an inner game of pickleball. If the pickleball is such a scene, it is huge. It's huge, it's huge. especially here. <laughs> My God. But anyways, uh, yeah. So that's that's Timothy Galway. That's kind of his vibe. And then yeah. So this is a little bit more about the book and some of the quotes and stuff. I think we've kind of hit some of this stuff, but um, but yeah, like some of the big, like some of the big bullet points from this thing were kind of like. Focus your mind to overcome nervousness, self-doubt, and distractions. Find the state of relaxed concentration that allows you to play at your best. Build skills by smart practice, then put it all together in match play. So you could just change like a couple of those words and it's like the stuff that we think about playing music all the time. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the vibe. That's That's kind of like the, that's my intro to the inner game of tennis that book is there anything else that i maybe left out that i that you i should add to that or i don't think so it i think that was a pretty great synopsis agreed content and i had these graphics yes graphics and so I, good Tennessee. um there's that graphic just seen okay uh cool <laughs> so, <laughs> So yeah, let's start our uh, let's start our book club just casual hang. I did my little mini lecture <laughs> to <laughs> make sure I bore everybody. Now no. uh, now book club stuff. So our first kind of question about this is, um, what's your favorite? What was your favorite part of the book? Should we just kind of like go around? I, it doesn't have to. You don't have to be like. I know it's like maybe stressful to pick like <laughs> a thing or something. I got it. What's your what's your favorite part? What was your favorite part Me? of the game? Mine was the self one, self two. I've been obsessing over it a little bit because I've always thought about it in a way, but for some reason, actually distinguishing teller and doer. He calls self one 
self-teller and self-to-doer. And, and he brings up like this concept of, oh, I'm talking to myself. And then he personifies I and myself. And I just had never compartmentalized it that um, clearly, I guess. Like I, I hadn't sort of removed then like a third part of myself from those two selves. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking so much about it and it completely applies to me. And I love when he talks about the concept of it so that you can address it and then how to quiet self one, but then how to respect self two. And that's what I think I had never done before, or I have currently have never, like, I actually had a moment where I felt like a feeling where I was like, Oh, if I respect self two and treat self two with respect and trust self two, I don't know. It's yeah. really on my mind. So yeah. And so, and so, yeah, like, um, recap that. So self one is like the, is like the thinker. Yes. Yeah, self one is like the, the person who's saying like, that was so bad. Or mm, I guess that sounded good. Like yeah. all the dialogue and then self two includes like your unconscious mind, your body, your nervous system. And so the way that he explains it, um, is that self one tries extra hard and blames everything on self two when self one is getting in the way and self one trying so hard makes it harder for self two to do its job yeah. because self one doesn't trust self two. And so again, self one is tell the teller and self two is the doer. Yeah. And he goes in, so into that more, right. When he, when you're like, he compares it to working on a certain stroke and self one tells self two, hey, like, remember, you're supposed to be firm on your backhand. And then self two does it and it's not as good as it, it should be. And so self one's like, I can't believe you just did that. It was crazy. And yeah. so you get into your head even further because you're not saying, okay, let me trust, like you said, self two, and to break the cycle of the loop. Because mm -hmm. the more, I think that's the concept he kind of goes into further in that chapter is like um the more we think we let self one take over the less and less it will actually help our performance yeah like self two suffers when self one is so loud and annoying <laughs> yeah so i mean like is it is it weird i kept thinking kind of like oh self one is like your mind and self two is kind of your body but i don't it seems maybe not like that's quite it. Like that doesn't feel like it quite because like self two is still like reactions and stuff. So it's not quite, I don't know, but yeah. maybe, maybe that is a way to kind of simplify it a little bit. But yeah, he, it's yeah. interesting. He says like self one is I, this is what you were saying, Amy, right? Like self one yeah. is I and self two is myself. Like that's, yes. <laughs> like, I love it. Some of it, it's just like, Bruh. it got me. And I loved his comparison to learning how to walk yeah. because I think it is body and mind, but there is still a there. I think it's body and mind, but with body, you can include like maybe a childlike mind mm. before it's been kind of like, like intuition, like, intuition yeah. is still part of that self to yeah, I think like so. the doer thing a little bit. Yeah. That's yeah. how I understood it. Um, 
Yeah, he says, there are two selves. One, the I, seems to give instructions. The other, myself, seems to perform the action. Then I returns with an evaluation of the action. Along the same area, too, like I highlighted that there's like a there's a whole section to this chapter that says trying hard colon <laughs> a questionable virtue and I was like yeah <laughs> that's right I love that can I catch up on the Instagram yeah. so um Nicole asked if you have a second can you connect your audio to the twitch oh I do have a second but and I then thought I thought the audio was connected to the Twitch. <laughs> uh, Marcus says, self and the I is heavy. Daphnis has a very similar chapter in his book. That's cool. Daphnis definitely aligns with this yeah. stuff. Maddie says, it seems like self one is reflecting on the thing and self two is out there doing it. Yeah. I totally relate. And I, to I agree. And I also agree. It's hard to trust your intuition. Yeah. So that's it's always so the, the whole thing is being able to bridge that gap between self one and self two mm -hmm. to allow self one to trust. Even though that's so but self one is not like self one is not needed completely. Uh, yes, absolutely. You, we still have to walk through performing and still be, come away with and be like, yeah, that was good for this moment, but I could also bring this the next time or, oh yeah, my back hand in that, I have zero tennis lingo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, picking up what you're putting down. I think you're right. Yeah. But when the actual performance is happening, it seems like self too really should take the stage. Yeah. Marcus says, how does this relate to improvisation? Mm. I think I tell myself to make the changes and then I end up folding. But <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think like um, if there's been an internalization, like there's been familiarity with what you're doing, if you completely let go, I think that that is the, the most maybe genuine improvisation. Mm. If so you can let self flow, do. Yeah. Yeah. Flow state. Yeah, and I think it sounds more convincing usually because self one to me is like, you know, and it sounds kind of more like a pushing button situation yeah. or like, yeah, I don't know. Marcus says, can't that fold just be an opportunity? He asked us because he wrote a paper on this last semester. Oh my gosh, Marcus, start being smart, okay? <laughs> I guess I mean it can totally be an opportunity. That's what everyone says. E each mistake is an opportunity. But if you have self one just telling you it's a mistake, then self two can't say this is an opportunity too. Yeah. So it's like the lack of trust there. Yeah. Maybe. No, I, I think know. so. I think self one stifles self two in a way. So it's like almost self one's like, why'd you make that mistake? And self two is like, you know, just accidentally stepped in a puddle. Yeah. And it's not that deep. But self one is like. Gonna... You got my foot all wet. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think an, another thing that comes up maybe later in the book that I think connects to this kind of improvisation thing, it's similar to a lot of these performance situations where it's like, by the time self one, by the time like the teller is kind of involved and kind of like, like analyzes the situation and then like gives the command, it's like usually too late. 
you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Like, even if it wasn't, uh, I mean, like we'll get into this a little bit, but like the, he kind of says like all of this teller stuff, all of the self one stuff, um, kind of leads us to kind of like get tight and, um, to kind of like choke up on things yeah. and, and, uh, but basically like even if it wasn't doing all of that like even if it was like letting you be play like loose and all of that kind of stuff i think it's like too slow like mm. um he talks about how you know people are serving like someone serves you a tennis ball and it's like 100 miles an hour and like somehow you see it and like hit it back and and like that's too actually short of a time to actually be thinking about it and there's mm-hmm. a lot of times where you improvise like a lot of improvisational things are like this where it's like to react to the thing if you if you take time to like analyze it you actually can be like kind of like late for that for mm-hmm. that thing like you're kind of behind um yeah but yeah i mean I, this this really connects to all of this zen stuff and like all of the flow kind of stuff that we've like some of that was in the creative way book like some of that was in the Ruben book yeah but um but like a a lot of that kind of like performance stuff is that like trying to turn off the analytical part of it the judgy part of it and and just kind of like do the thing and you know Mm -hmm. and I think like you said I mean I think that's the trickier thing for me is where does where does self one come in? Yeah. You know, and what, what is that? Where does that make sense? True. Um, the thing I thought he said about that, that resonated with me was the respect part of it. So if self one is like self-aware <laughs> and knows when to say things and when to not say things the same way we would treat our friends and stuff. Like when you're like, I don't need to say this comment that I'm thinking. maybe that is like helpful like self one could come in after because nicole says ways to keep the concentration flowing even though there's shitty sound and obstacles that don't set you up properly for performance so maybe self one is like okay you know what i can do it i'm gonna you know and like you're you're intentionally speaking to yourself kindly but then you still let it be quiet when you're having to do the thing yeah I mean, that's what the next chapter is about, right? Quieting that self-want. Yeah. Yeah. So when when to let it... I think that's just, yeah, I guess it's just practice, like knowing when to and how to let self-want in. Mm-hmm. And we talk all the time in lessons about like, you know, remembering or learning how things feel yeah. and trying to kind of like, and trying to trust that more. And I think that's kind of that respecting self too thing, you know, like yeah. Nicole was saying, like monitors suck. You can't hear yourself. You can't see anything like the lights are weird. You know, it's like all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you're not singing in front of a mirror, you know, if you're practicing yeah. that way or playing in front of a mirror or, um, you know, it's like you, you go on feel then like, what is loud yeah. feel like? What is like, what does my sound feel like when I'm playing my instrument? And it's the same thing in this book where it's like, when I'm swinging, like, what is that? What does my backhand feel like? Because like, or like, what does my forehand feel like? Because it's like, there's a part of that you can't see. Yeah. Um, he talks was, about- Before we kind of like dig through okay. the whole book, Alexander, <laughs> like, do you have an answer to the, what was your favorite? What was your oh. favorite part? Or have we kind of mentioned it already? My favorite 
part was changing the changing habits um chapter oh brother i have to find it um essentially this is when i said alexandria get over yourself <laughs> um but this this like it's in the kind of the beginning of the chapter he says in short there's no need to fight old habits hmm. which i found very interesting because my my entire like thing i was like yeah i have to like i can't allow this thing that's it's a part of me but it's like a bad part of me like mm -hmm. i have to like not let that in but he says there's no need to fight old habits just start new ones it is the resisting of an old habit that puts you in that trench Starting mm. a new pattern is easy when done with childlike disregard for imagined difficulties. Wow. And I was like, he said, you can prove this to yourself by your own experience. And I think that's just such an easier, even though like that is what we're doing, essentially, we're not breaking old habits or just starting new ones. Mm -hmm. Just that change of, it's like a syntax situation. Is that the right word? Semantics. It's like Semantics. even just changing it from like, oh, yeah, I'm breaking old habits. No, it's like, no, that should not even be in that sentence. It's starting new ones. And I think that that always came up in our lessons, Charlie. Like I felt like you weren't trying to necessarily change anyone's sound or change the way that we approached music. But you just gave us options for like, oh, yeah, this is like a different sound or like this is like a different way to position your mouth or this is like a different way to position your tongue did you know there's such thing as tongue tension you know mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know like instead of it being like you know you have this thing that you do that's kind of like not great so like let's try this let's do this thing that's not gonna you know force you to do the other thing but in reality you're just saying hey there are like other options and this is a way to do it and so i'm talking a lot i'm sorry you're talking just enough. um but then he goes into like the whole process. And the first thing that he says is non-judgmental observation. Which That's heavy. I think we don't allow ourselves to do. Like we, we're trying to start this new pattern. And if we don't get it right the first time, we're just like, dang, I suck. Mm -hmm. But that's. That's like trying to ride a bike for the first time and you fall and you're like, well, can't ride a bike again. But no. yeah, it leaves no room for mistakes or learning or growth. Yeah. So that and so that that is why this one is my favorite part. Non-judgmental observation, I think, mm -hmm. really got me. I like that too because it involves like forgiving yourself or like um letting go of being so hard on yourself. Like mm -hmm. what you said about thinking of certain parts of self as like bad, if you can let go of that judgment it's totally like frees up there's that that takes up so much space yeah that i don't even think i realized the judgment yeah what's interesting about the judgment thing or like what what really kind of cracked that coat or like what really convinced me of the idea that he was talking about was this kind of thing where it's like it's not just the bad it's not just the bad judgmental stuff like the neg the critical judgmental stuff that will kind of like tighten you up, start making you kind of like anxious or like worry about the future. But it's actually like the good judgmental stuff. It's like the times you win or the times that <laughs> things happen the way that you're trying to, like self one is trying to make it 
happen you know like like uh self one says like oh you should play this scale or something or like play this lick and then you do it and like it's it's great and like it works and you're (laughs) like that was great but then it just kind of sets you up because eventually you know like so what he says about some of these kind of judgmental things is that like something happens one time you judge yourself something happens twice and it kind of becomes like a little bit of a streak and then something happens more than that and it starts to become like who you are like it you you take it in as your identity right so it's like and even if it's a good thing you know like oh i sang on that recording i sang really in tune it's uh, and then i sing on the next recording and like oh i sing in tune and it's like cool i'm like really i'm really on a great streak of singing in tune (laughs) and then and after a while it's like well i'm someone who sings in tune like every time that's like kind of my thing and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen like i i crap the bed or whatever (laughs) like i suck (laughs) and then it's like oh my god what happened i lost it what am i gonna do (laughs) or it's like oh i can always sing a high a flat or whatever that is and it's like Um, all of a sudden oh like and i can do it i can do it and then one day it's like oh my god i lost it my technique my technique must be like totally blown oh yeah yeah like how many times does something like that happen, right? Where it's just yeah. like even the good stuff and the bad stuff can like scare you away from, you know, like we've talked about this before, like little kids all think they can play music and draw and act and dance. And it's like, and we get to a point in our lives where we're like, oh, I don't draw. I can't draw. I don't have that. I don't have that in me. You know, like yeah. that's an example of that like streak becoming like identity stuff like that, that really that really made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And he's saying the way to come back, come back, come back, that is to again, trust self too. It's self like, too. don't let the self one come back in there when you're having the streak. If you're having the streak, just be like, oh, self two. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like when people are doing really well, right? When they're playing really well at anything, they're playing their instrument, they're playing sports really well. It's like, he says, like, what do people say about them? So like, oh my God, they're playing out of their mind. They're unconscious, you know? Mm, It's like that that kind of thing. Um, What was your favorite part, Charlie? So my favorite part like happened right away. It was like, it kind of, I got like, I got destroyed like literally on like page five. So... (laughs) (laughs) so i thought you were gonna say the end the uh forward or preface or whatever so like literally pete carroll's preface where he's like i'm pete carroll i play i'm a football coach i believe in performance (laughs) it's like (laughs) when i won the national championship my players really performed no that was not my favorite part (laughs) that was fine (laughs) um no my my favorite part is like literally or I don't know, my uh, like favorite is is maybe the wrong word necessarily, but it like this was kind of the it hit me right away. And and um, I've been thinking about it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it's a, kind of like right away he talks about over teaching. Mm. Like he he describes this. So I know that like I think I think this book is really for kind of like 
the players, the people playing, like it's kind of for everybody. But like I was digesting a lot of this book, like especially the first maybe four chapters or something like that, like from a teacher point of view and being like, I'm killing every, I'm literally killing everybody. Like everything he's saying, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I, I'm doing all of that stuff. Like, yes. Yeah. And again, it's like, I'm judging myself like I'm the worst, but, um, but it's like, uh, he kind of goes into this thing where he is describing a typical tennis lesson, like right away. And there's this part where he's like, suppose the student is a middle-aged businessman bent on improving his position on the club ladder. The pro is standing at the net with a large basket of balls and being a bit uncertain whether his student is considering him worth the lesson fee. He is carefully evaluating every shot. That's good, but you're doing this. That's, that's better. This could be better. Blah, blah, blah. And they're standing in front of the thing. And then like a few sentences later, or he says, improvement seems dubious and very complex, but both mm -hmm. he and the pro are impressed by the careful analysis of each stroke and the fee is gladly paid upon receipt of the advice to practice all this and eventually you'll see a big improvement. <laughs> and I can <laughs> tell you like how many lessons I feel like I've just like grinded someone down to their like... <laughs> their atoms and then i've been like well see all you need to do is practice that now <laughs> <laughs> like the next paragraph starts i too admit to over teaching as a new pro and i'm like oh my god like i was just seeing myself like so much in that and Aww. and um in this you know just kind of like like really analyzing everything and having five things to say about every event you know and and like i was just kind of like whoa okay and then he kind of goes into this whole thing where he's like talking about like how he approaches things now and 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 i do recognize some of that which is kind of like you know asking students to like observe what's happening and you know just be like oh, i want you to put your focus here like I want you to, th I want you to kind of maybe, um, you know, consider your tongue, as like <laughs> Alex mentioned or whatever. Or like, I want you to like put your focus on your jaw right now and like let's sing through this. And like, mm -hmm. I want you to tell me what you noticed. You know, like what were you thinking about there? All of that kind of stuff. Like, I, I do think I do that, but I do think I do this like over teaching thing. And I and I admit that I it feels like it comes from like a, um, from like feeling stressed or, or like feeling like oh my god is this worth the money that someone is paying mm. to kind of like sit in front of me like i need to like show them that i'm like smart that like this they that's the self one yeah that is self one <laughs> that is self one totally yeah. um and there is definitely performance in in teaching yeah um, yeah so so yeah i i um, so that, that's kind of like the part that kind of hit me right away. And I've had like lots of opportunities in the last couple of weeks to teach. So I've been trying to put all this, these ideas to like in practice in that process. And, and I've found it really challenging in some ways because it's, it's like not my habit right now. Like I'm kind of out of habit. Like I find myself even saying, I will say good. I'll say that like mm. constantly during a lesson. You know, it'll be like, I want you to go like, and they go like, oh, you know, I'm like, good. Now let's do it here. And they're like, oh, 
And I'm like, good, let's do that again. Good. (laughs) And I say good after everything. Wow. I'm like, oh, I'm just constantly giving judgment. Like I'm constantly Mm -hmm. saying like good or bad, you know, all the time. And in my brain, what I'm trying to do is like encourage them, like keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, and so I've been trying to do that or trying to not react, which I, <laughs> which is hard, you know, yeah. saying, and I'm like, okay, let's try this now. Or like, let's go up a half step, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite challenging. And, but I've been trying to coach my students through it too and say like, Hey, this is how I'm approaching this right now. This is how we're going to try to approach this because of this, you know, because of this idea and like, is that cool? Can we like try to do that together? Can we like try to like keep some of the judgment stuff, either good or That's bad? Cool. Try to kind of keep some of that at least language out of the lesson and just see how that goes. Yeah. I love that communication because I think as first of all, I exclaimed yes because I thought you were saying you don't overteach because I wouldn't describe you as overteaching. So yeah. I was like, yes. But then <laughs> I think that you were. Anyways, I just wanted to clear that up. I don't think you overteach. Nicole and I was yassing so your either. teaching. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, Nicole said, Charlie, you could never overteach even if you tried. You're amazing. <laughs> um, oh, wait, great. I just lost my train of thought in my defense of my big yes. No, it's fine. I did oh, it you were myself. talking about kind of communicating the, oh. like the process. Yeah. I think like from a young age, if you are involved in performance, like at least in my experience, it was always judgmental from the beginning. Like it was like who, whatever, just from the very beginning, the way that programs worked and stuff, like I was involving judgment already. So communicating about that with somebody I think is helpful because then you're like, you both have the awareness and you're on the same page rather than the person then being like, Oh my God, like he's not saying like, for me, I think I would kind of spaz a little bit. Like if I wasn't sure either way, I'm like, was that okay? Like, was that, you know, and it encourages the student then to chill and try to do the same thing. So you guys are in it together. Yeah. I I agree. Yeah. I agree that it's like, it feels if I'm going to do that, that it's maybe important to like (laughs) be open about it. Because Otherwise I'd be like, uh like, is, was that okay <laughs> am i doing anything right maybe, but the yeah. point is maybe to get rid of that mindset like doing it right yeah. is a judgment i guess that's how the self one is formed over time like if you're always being judged in a way so or like in this in galway's thing is like if you tell someone how to do a backhand first and instead of showing them they're they're going to be like less likely to be successful so but if you're just encouraged to um i don't know where i was going with that but i would think i think my thing was like it's it evolves from someone telling giving you so much feedback to then yourself giving you that feedback marcus calls it the formation of the ego that's Mm. i think what he interpreted it as that's yeah Mm. now i don't know what i was going to say i got lost You know, part so part of this, there's a chapter called kind of like learning how to focus or like concentrating, you know, like do this kind of focus thing where you're not, you know, like where you're not judging at the same time. So I think there, I think that that is kind of like the, that's 
maybe kind of the separation between like mind and body or like that's where that that analogy doesn't quite work i think yeah. that's probably why he uses self one and self two because mm -hmm. to me the, your mind is focused like that's that's part of the things that's focused it's not just your like it's not just well, your body like there is yeah, a there's a connection there mm -hmm. um it's kind of interesting because i was like reading this thing that was talking about um like phone addiction stuff especially for like young kids and everything mm -hmm. and how and how like they really one of the big problems with it is that they like lose their ability to focus on things mm -hmm. and so like things like piano lessons like you know this is this is kind of like been um this has been brought to to parents like to the forefront of like parenting for a long time because it's like oh teach your teach your child like how to focus like how to be able to kind of like sit down for an extended period of time and like like just focus on kind of like one thing mm. um, but i find that it's like not just little kids it's like hard it's getting harder for all of us i think to do that yes. which is kind of like makes a, a core section of this book i think particularly challenging yeah um i don't know like so i i've that was kind of like random, but I, I mean, I have other <laughs> questions like, so d were there, was there anything by the way that we've talked about a lot of stuff that we feel like has kind of like worked for us or something, or like things that have, things that have been kind of like making us think or that kind of clicked. It, was there anything in the book that feels like it didn't click quite so much or that maybe it feels kind of dubious or that we disagree with, or we're kind of we're kind of feeling funky. I mean, I'm kind of putting it on the stop. It doesn't have, you don't have to have an answer for that. But um, I mean, like for me, honestly, like I fast forwarded probably through some of like the more specific tennis things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That like didn't, that kind of didn't quite click with me. Yeah. Like um, discovering technique, like ground strokes, grips. I didn't he goes really read that, that footwork. Yeah. yeah. I didn't really um reading any of that but the begin i feel like the beginnings of the chapters they usually give like a gist of what's happening like in discovering technique which i loved he said um to me it makes sense to build any system of instruction which is what we were talking about upon the best possible understanding of natural learning the learning process you were born with the less fear and doubt are embedded in the instructional process, the easier it will be to take the natural steps of learning. I love that. So I think that's a, that was like a takeaway, good takeaway for me, but, and then it goes into grips and footwork and I'm just like, you lost me, but the, the, he had me in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like one of the things we've talked about a little bit, it's not something I disagree with necessarily, mm -hmm. but this whole idea of like, when does the analytical, like, is there at all a place for the analytical thing? And like, when does that, like, when does that happen in the process? And yeah. um, like, to me, that felt a little bit underdeveloped in the book. And like, maybe that's, maybe there just is much less of a play. Like he kind of talks about that too, where it's like, sometimes having this self to sort of like led situation will kind of feel unsatisfying because self one is kind of the one that like takes a victory lap. It's mm -hmm. the one that like goes in your brain and is like, yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> good it, job. It like throws the confetti up in the air, or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, if that's not involved, if it can't take credit for something, then you kind of don't get that hit 
of like, wow, you won. Like that was great. And that was like all me. Like I told you to do that, you know? Um, and so it can feel almost, it, it, there maybe is like some, um, sort of recalibration that needs to happen. Cause maybe it doesn't feel as good. Mm. There, there's some things with that too. It's just like any new technique where it's like, Oh, I'm kind of learning this new technique and it not, it's not having the same results as my old technique, you know, uh, yeah. even though there might be problematic aspects of my old technique or something, or I'm getting, or it's hurting me or whatever that is, you know, like it's, it's still kind of sometimes hard to learn a new technique because it doesn't feel like you have your, as much arm, your arms around it as, as much as your old technique. Um, it's interesting, but yeah, like where, where do you feel like it, where does this kind of like, where does this analytical part fit in this, in the process? I think, um, where he talks about in the discovering technique thing, where do analytical, where do technical instructions originate? Right. And he says, um, it, they first, is this answering the question? I think maybe. So there was no written instructions at first, right? It was somebody who was playing and you learned from the person that was playing and they, and they attempted to put it into words. And then once someone put it into words, I think people thought they would be able to execute it. But he, go, he goes the same language is not the action. Um, um, he said, in a society that has become so oriented toward language as a way of representing truth, is very possible to mm. lose touch with your ability to feel and with and with it your ability to remember the shots themselves. I think that's is that answering some of part of what you're asking? Kind of sorta. But I mean like we've talked about the we've talked about like, oh, maybe after like is it after the fact or something? Like you go back oh. and listen to the recording and you're like, oh, I liked how that sounded. Because mm -hmm. he does say that like he does say that like outcomes matter, mm -hmm. right? That it's not, it is yeah. not just process that like, that it also matters that, you know, in tennis that you're winning games in music that you're playing, you know, mm -hmm. that you're playing like how you play or you're expressing yourself. Hmm. I think it can be present in preparation as long as it has, as long as it um, can receive or can give itself feedback or receive feedback. You know what I mean? Like, I think it can be really helpful as like, um, almost, almost like keeping you on track, like the voice that's kind of like, I gotta practice or like do it again, like the discipline mm -hmm. aspect of it. But then knowing when it's time to chill, which I think Maddie said, Maybe it's when you're ready for it. Like sometimes having an honest conversation with a friend or family member can't always happen in the moment. Everybody needs time to chill and reflect before confronting criticism. So mm. maybe it's like self two does the thing or self one's involved in the prep. But then as you get closer, it's like, okay, it's more self two's time. And then after self two does the thing, self one comes back maybe into mm. play. I didn't disagree with this, but I'm going to have a lot of trouble like learning how to respect self too. I can say it all I want, but I like, I just, I'm going to have to shed it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, that, that's like something that's in my life too, which that's like a little different, I think, but 
the self is so interesting and the being critical of the self. And I think it's harder than maybe the book makes it feel, but sure. Yeah. That's fair. That's like personal work. Yeah. I, guess- I mean, part of this is like putting the self one thing into context, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just kind of like, okay, this is not all, this is not the B end all like, the all uh end all be all end all be all, end all, be all. <laughs> yeah, like this is and you're not the boss like this is at best right. like a team and um you know and it's like i think sometimes we think our mind is is like kind of all there is but it but it kind of has its kind of specific role right like it it yeah. has its thing it does and it's going to do its thing it's going to do this judgment the self one thing the the teller is going to mm-hmm. like gonna just gonna tell it's like just gonna keep telling you stuff <laughs> like like mm-hmm. that's like what his job is like that's that's really all it knows how to do you know yeah um before we as we kind of like wrap up any any other sort of like last sort of takeaways for this um as we're doing this too i want to give opportunity for people in the comments to suggest next books for our next book club yeah so we've been doing this every month. So probably we'll try to schedule this again for maybe mid-July sometime in there to kind of be reading our next book. We were kind of talking about maybe maybe some sort of history thing or a biography or um, something like that, maybe in that kind of zone. So if anybody has any suggestions of like books you've like really wanted to read and you just wanted a club <laughs> to be able to kind of like be the motivation to read that book or, or for for having some folks to talk to you about it. Um, or if it's a book you really, really love that you want to recommend, I'll just put that out there for the chat um, in case, in case anybody has any thoughts, but, but for us, for, for the, um, you know, for the inner game of tennis here, (laughs) is there any, is there any sort of like final, final, like takeaway thoughts? First of all, yes or no, would you recommend this book? Yes. To your musician friends? Yeah. I would recommend it to I think I agree with you, Charlie, and in, in the sense that it's geared towards performers, but I think reading this book, it helped me even more in terms of teaching. Yeah. So teachers should read this book for sure. Yeah, all teachers. Like doesn't matter. You need to send this to every dean <laughs> in America. Oh my god. LOL. <laughs> If they haven't heard of it already. Um, so a- any final takeaways? I just think it's interesting when this book was written and how relevant it still is. So that was like, cool. I really was, I was talking about it with my dad and he was like, oh yeah, it wasn't that like, didn't they come out in the seventies? And I was like, there's no way. And then I looked and I was like, whoa. So I guess, yeah, to me it's, it's cool to me that some things can still be relevant, you know, like I read it as if it were being spoken to me. So mm-hmm. that was cool to me. And I liked that. It, I felt like I have the space to go think about some stuff, particularly because it wasn't like, and when you get up there to sing, make sure, you know, yeah. I liked that it was about tennis. I was like, mm, tennis. I was never very good at tennis, you know. I don't know. I liked how it it felt to read it. 
any Alexandra, yeah. you kind of mentioned the the teaching thing teaching. versus the doing thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think like you, I saw a lot of the things that I was doing as a teacher that was too much. Um, that probably wasn't serving the student all that well. Um, and so it gave me a process. Like it was very nice to see um, the steps he took and how to get someone to discover their natural learning process. And so I think moving forward, that's something that I would want to continue to develop and work on for myself and for my students to also discover how they learn and how they work and what best suits them as a performer and a human. Because I think this extends far past whatever, like non-judgmental observation. I think it's even walking down the street and seeing someone dressed a certain way and not, you know, passing judgment on them and taking someone for who they are. Yeah. Well said. Well, that was the Foreign Music Book Club for <laughs> June slash kind of end of May. <laughs> um, thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us, even if it was just for a few minutes. If you happen to kind of miss anything from this conversation, we'll be uploading the audio of our, our uh, book club hang today onto our podcast. So check out our podcast, Foreign Music. And um, I think we're going to probably do a little transcript of this too and upload it as a Substack kind of post. So um, if you haven't already, uh, it, it would really help us out and it'd be really sweet of you if you could um, subscribe to our Substack. So foreignmusic.substack.com. I'm sorry, Amy, I'm kind of doing the Amy read. <laughs> do it. I, all of a sudden I was like, whoops, I don't have that script on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really, it really helps us to kind of continue to build on what we're doing. It's super encouraging. Everything we do at Foreign Music is free. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, we're going to trick you into <laughs> stealing <laughs> money with the subscription or something. So listen to the podcast. Um, listen uh, go and read the Substacks and subscribe and tell your friends. It really helps us out. We're trying to grow and do something positive um, in, in this whole world. So the book club's part of that. I think we're really hoping to, to continue to expand what foreign music is. So including yeah. like some live performances and some stream performances. And uh, for instance, Amy just released uh, a single not too long ago. Was that how, was it about a month ago or is it less than that? Less. It was like two, three. What? It was on the 20, 20 something. Okay. So it's like, so it's like three weeks or something. Maybe a yeah. three weeks ago. Maybe almost a month. Um, on the foreign music record label which we're really excited to you know continue to expand so did i miss anything with That's my so shameless foray promotion we love foray um we are foray we are foray and all of you listening to this are also foray music thanks for hanging out with us and um what do we usually say i think we say we think, we you're, think super. you're super yeah, yeah. We think you're super. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.